Good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Parks and Rec Commission meeting this evening on December 13th, 2023, last one for the year. Super grateful for everybody being in attendance uh, this evening and appreciate all that you do. Um, I'd like uh, to call this meeting to order and proceed to item number two on the agenda of approval of the November 8th, 2023 minutes. Is there a motion to approve of the minutes? I'll move to approve. Melissa is moved to approve. Is that seconded? All right, all in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Um, we'll now uh, move on to item number three, public comment of any items not on the agenda. And if you uh, do have items, please be sure to state your name. And we have the timer up here to follow the same rules that uh, city council does as well. But not appear to be any public comment at this time. So we'll move on to item number four and we'll turn it over to Julie. Great, we've had a couple staff changes. We're also in the process of interviewing some other staff, um, but we have two of the new members. Well, they're not new, they're uh, current members of the staff that are moving into new positions here tonight. So I wanna give them a chance to actually come up to the mic and introduce some stuff. We'll start with Josh Worrell. He is our new facility manager. Josh probably looks, uh, familiar to you he has been our assistant park superintendent for the past three years so uh, welcome everybody uh, thanks Julie uh, yes I am the new facilities manager started on November 27th I believe was my my first day here so I come to this department formally from uh, parks department as the assistant superintendent there previously 12 years with the city of Coralville before that so uh, kind of our duties, I have a 12-member staff that works underneath me. We will manage uh, Robert A. Lee, Mercer, uh, Civic Center, Police, Fire, Senior Center. So any of the building facility needs, uh, major projects, that type of stuff, we'll be, we'll be handling with those. So any questions for me? Not yet. Perfect. Not yet. Welcome. We're yeah. grateful you're here. Thank you. And then we have Kaylee House. Uh, Kaylee had been our rec assistant full time. Um, as you know, Kate Cannell, our aquatic supervisor, uh, left for a consulting job. So Kaylee is our new rec program supervisor for aquatics. Same thing, Kaylee. Give us a couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pull it down, I think. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Kaylee. Um, I was formerly the recreation assistant here. Um, started as a lifeguard in 2019. So I've um, always tried to fill, like, at least apply for all the openings just to stay here at the city. I've really enjoyed it. Um, so I just started Monday in the uh, program supervisor position. So it's still just kind of easing into it. And it was a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to everything that's to come with aquatics and just working uh, with the city. So hello, <laughs> everybody. Great. Welcome. Thanks to both of you. Okay. So we'll move on to item number five for, for Brad. Yeah. Brad Barker here. He'll go through our annual look at our fees and charges. Hey, good evening, everybody. All right, so um, this is our time of the year where we review the uh, fees and charges that we have for the various programs and rental facilities that we have in the, in, under the, the department. And the last two years, um, FY23 and FY24, the commission had um, 
moved to approve an increase. Uh, typically, we are in the three to five percent fee increase across the board. Um, and so that had been recommended the last two years and that was approved. And the primary reason why we did consecutive years, usually we do back to back, but we had done consecutive years the last two years because of the inflationary pressures. Um, we were seeing rising costs of goods and services that we were experiencing and then kind of looking to need to maybe pass some of those charges on um, to the participants of our programs. And so with everything stabilizing, in terms of inflationary pressures, the staff's recommendation for this next year would be to not have an increase in the fees and charges. However, in the um, fees and charges guide that you have there, I do have an option there where there is an, a proposed increase, but again, it is the staff's recommendation to not increase fees at this time. So we would be looking for a motion and recommendation from you to either not increase or to increase as, as right. shown in the packet. Is there a motion to not raise fees? And I would make a motion to not raise fees. fees. Yeah. All in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? No. All right. So yeah, anything that we can do to make sure everyone can have access to yep. and opportunities. Of, and of way. course, we continue to advocate for our REC Assist program, Perfect. Um, which takes 50% off of most of the, the fees and charges that we have. That's great. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate that. I have a question yeah. on the fees for rental spaces. Do you all plan future years, five years out, three years out? Do you have any projections, or do you just go in year by year? We go year by year. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. All right, All right. So we'll move on to item number six. Yeah, our next item um, was a request from a couple of the commission members. And Sarah, you can come up here and sit in my spot if that's helpful. That's all right. Okay. Uh, we have Sarah Walls and Kate Ralston from our Metropolitan Planning Organization uh, to give you an update on the bicycle master plan and trails and answer all your questions on those subjects. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Yes, please. And I are both with the um, Metropolitan Planning Organization, but we're also employees of the City of Iowa City do transportation planning. So we're aware and have a lot of uh, advice for what the city does, but we coordinate also with our surrounding cities, Coralville, North Liberty, University Heights, Tiffin. Um, so we'll go. The um, Iowa City Bicycle Master Plan was adopted back in 2017. This is a map of the network, um, and it's you know, I realize it's kind of hard to read, but um, basically what I'm showing you is how the network is built out of these different facilities, uh, about 27 miles of off-street trails. Um, those are the trails that are really extended trails, and then 10 miles of the local trails. Those are little connector trails through parks, or they might be from like a part of a subdivision like that's on a cul-de-sac that connects through to something else. Those are the local trails. Um, side paths, some people call those wide sidewalks. Those are the continuous sidewalks that run along the eight to 10 foot wide continuous sidewalks that run along our arterial streets. So we have almost 27 miles of those. And then we're now up to 17 miles of bicycle lanes. So on street facilities. Um, in the downtown area, we've nearly um, completed our um, the projects um, that were in the plan. Um, most recently, the Madison Street four to three lane conversion. That's a common way that we get um, additional bike lanes um, 
four to three lane conversions happen for other reasons that have to do with um, reducing collisions and things and then that additional space can be allocated to various things parking being one but bike lanes to the other so we have them on Madison Street now Jefferson and Market have long had uh, bike lanes but this year those were extended all the way down to Madison and they are now buffered bike lanes so you have the lane plus um, about 18 inches of space between you and the and the motorist and we have bike lanes on um, also bu buffered bike lanes on on Governor and Dodge Street um, we got bi bike lanes on a portion of Burlington Street just before the bridge um, and then the light blue that you see are the bikeways that we have that sort of connect on low volume streets that connect to these various facilities. And then where we have um, intersecting streets that both have bike lanes, then we get the green bike boxes, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, one thing that might change all this is the city is contemplating um, one way to two way conversions, both on Market and Jefferson and on Governor and Dodge, and that may um, adjust, um, you know, on all those streets, we just have the one-way bike lane. We might end up with two bike lanes on one street. We might end up uh, with some of those streets having bike lanes and others not. So for example, I'm not saying this is gonna happen, but if they went to from one-way to two-way, we might have the bike lanes say on Jefferson Street and not on Market. That's just all remains to be seen. And so the bike boxes, again, those are um, opportunities for um, bicyclists to position themselves during the red light phase at a signal. So on this example, which I believe is taken from Jefferson Street, a bicyclist would pull up on that left side because the bike lane's on the left side during the red light and then scooch over to the right to prepare for a right-hand turn into the next bike lane on Dodge Street. Um, this has an added benefit is that is that it brings it separates out the pedestrians from the bicyclists from the cars so you can see on that picture that the the bike box is back from the um, pedestrian crossing and so it just gives a little more space for all the different users it also lets the bicyclists when that light finally turns green that they can um, kind of get through the intersection and get out of way the way of cars so cars should appreciate this I would hope then in the east side neighborhood, so the areas east of downtown, again, we have the bikeways. Um, those are signed, and there's some wayfinding. And in this area, they're particularly important for getting students um, down Sheridan Avenue and then cutting down through sort of the alphabet streets down to Southeast Junior High and also bikeways leading to City High. This year, we got bike lanes you'll see at the top. Um, on a portion of Rochester from 1st Avenue to 7th Street. Rochester just opened the other day and I'm so happy I live off Rochester. Um, and then we, uh, another way that we get bike lanes, so that was a major reconstruction project that allowed us to get bike lanes. Then on American Legion Road, major first-time construction, taking a road from um, a rural cross-section to an urban one, and there we got bike, buffered bike lanes on both sides and the side path. That's leading from Scott Boulevard out um, to the new school. And then, of course, this is an area where we rely heavily on the Court Hill Trail, um, which really provides a great um, commuter route to those far east side neighborhoods. I also want to mention that in the Bicycle Master Plan, 
Other streets were identified as a possibility for bike lanes, um, Muscatine Avenue being one, um, Kirkwood Avenue. Um, it turns out when we reanalyze those streets, they're really not wide enough. Like the absolute minimum in theory is 30 feet of pavement, which would give two 10-foot travel lanes for cars and then the five-foot bike lanes. But you really, on, on those streets where we have uh, transit, and then, you know, depending what the storm drains are like, it, it just doesn't work out that way. And so um, we will not be getting bike lanes on Mosca of Muscatine, nor on Court or um, Kirkwood. But we rely heavily on that Court Hill Trail for the um, east-west, and then there are routes that can guide you to the downtown as well as to the Iowa River corridor trail on those bikeways. The south side of Iowa City, which is a glorious place to ride your bike, um, we got bike lanes on Keokuk Street south of the highway, again, a four to three lane conversion. Um, then we got bike lanes on Southgate to get you over, you know, toward the Iowa River Corridor Trail. Eventually, that will connect all the way through to the Iowa River Corridor Trail. You'll be able to ride down Southgate and connect. We also got that far eastern portion of the Highway 6 Trail running from Hines Road um, up to Fair Meadows Boulevard. And that middle section between Fair Meadows and uh, Broadway, we will get probably in 2026, we have funding for those years. So that'll kind of complete that network. And then as those networks go in, that's when we get these other bikeways. So you can see like on Lakeside and Burns Avenue, we connect these other routes to the new facilities. Um, oh, and then I should say in the next year or two, I think two years away, we will do a four to three lane conversion on that portion of South Gilbert Street, south of Southgate Avenue. That's a very f popular um, bicycle route. And so we will get um, bike lanes on that portion of Gilbert Street. Then on the west side, um, we have the, uh, the Highway 1 um, bike trail, which is very successful. But this year, we got the Benton Street. We got bike lanes on Benton Street um, from Greenwood all the way out to Mormon Trek Boulevard, where, again, we have bike lanes. And that was due to a four to three lane conversion on Mormon Trek Boulevard. Those are, are kind of the big projects there. Um, we also have bike lanes on Rarit Road. Um, but on here, I wanted to call your attention to something else important, which is we have coming up in the next several years two major um, bridge replacements, the bridge on Highway 6 and the bridge on um, Burlington Street. Um, will both be replaced those as you can imagine are they won't be going simultaneously um, those are major projects that have major implications for both bicyclists and pedestrians obviously we're all very familiar with Burlington Street and it's difficult for people to get over and then up the hill the re reconfiguration of the bridge and the roadway is going to reconfigure that so that it will be much more advantageous to bicyclists and pedestrians. Then down on Highway 6, um, we really don't have any facilities, including pedestrian facilities, between Riverside Drive and um, almost to Gilbert Street. And if you're down in that part of town, really any time of day, you will see people biking and riding across the bridge. And they really don't have any place to be. Um, so it's less than safe. We had at least we had one fatality here a number of years ago. And so it's really important to get that. Lots of people are walking and biking to work and other places that they need to go. And so getting that bridge will be um, an important um, facility for everyone. 
Um, a couple things that are coming in the future, the city council has asked us to look for places for protected bike lanes. And the example they wanted to use is bollards. Protected bike lanes, just I'll say a little bit about them, they're a little bit complicated because you have to figure in both the spacing, you know, having the space between the bike lane and the travel lane. And then also if there are driveways or intersections, you have to figure out how you're gonna get those on and into that area. So I think we're actually gonna be working with a consultant to figure out where the best area in town is to try out the uh, protected bike lanes but those will be coming in the next couple of years and then I wanted to say a little bit about um, we're trying to educate people about a variety of things safe passing distance so in case you didn't know when you're passing a bicyclist you want to be no long no closer than three feet from the bicyclist preferably five feet and then on those streets where you're traveling faster than 25 miles an hour you'd really like to take to the adjacent lane that's the safest way to pass a bicyclist also you're gonna see uh, it's already taking place we're replacing some of the share old share the road signs with bicyclists may use full lane and we occasionally get questions of that doesn't mean that the bicyclist is meant to hog the lane but there are places where the bicyclist should be out away from the curb and riding in the lane through segments certain road segments and transition areas um, bicyclists experienced bicyclists are not going to ride in the gutter because it's simply unsafe to ride there further out in the lane gives you more visibility you're away from all of those hazards at the gutter and then in places like roundabouts and there's certain forks in the road and things like that where the bicyclist really temporarily needs to take control of the lane and get through that spot and then move back over to further to the right i just want to say a word too about bicycle collisions um, so here's what uh, 11, 12 years of history of bicycle collisions in Iowa City, and we can see that with all the growth that we've had and the, all we've added on, you know, we've really come down in the number of bicycle collisions. Obviously, we'd rather see that at zero, but we are doing pretty well at those, so um, that's a good thing. And then in terms of bicycle counts, I just grabbed a count from that we just um, finished up this fall on the Iowa River Quarter Trail at Crandick Park, so that's, um, if you're over on Rocky Shore Drive, you, you can take a trail that connects over to um, Coralville to Iowa River Landing or connects over to the Clear Creek Trail. And you can see these are the monthly totals. Um, we don't have every month in there, June and July. August and September, I guess, aren't in there, but we got spring and fall in there. And you can see you know, how many riders we're getting um, a month um, there. And um, our, the, the counts that we do on the trails are, are increasing every year. Slowly over time, we'll be able to get more hand counts that we would do on the roadways. And then part of the Bicycle Master Plan was also education. So we do have some educational things. Um, the Bike Shorts videos, which are on YouTube and we share periodically and we invite other people to share them, cover all kinds of things of bike etiquette, bike safety, bike maintenance, all those kinds of things. We also have a Rules of the Road brochure that we invite and encourage people to use as part of their education that we have translated. It's in English, let's see if I can remember, English, Chinese, Arabic, French, Spanish, and Swahili. And anyone who wants to use those is welcome to use those. We also started a program called the Bicycle Friendly Driver Program that we've done with the transit agencies. 
just teaching new um, bus, new and old bus drivers about bicycle behaviors and bicycle safety. So, and then pointing out certain areas in the community where they might notice certain things so that they can be more sensitive uh, drivers. And we would, of course, love that program to expand. And then finally, in the coming years, we'll be looking at branding and weight branding and wayfinding of our trail system. It is becoming quite popular and will only become more so um, because of the connections of the Clear Creek Trail. Now you can ride from South Iowa City along the Iowa River Trail, connect over to the Clear Creek Trail and ride all the way out to Tiffin with only a couple street crossings and the only street you ride on is like Normandy Drive, which nobody drives on. So, you know, um, we expect more bicycle tourism and things like that. So that's kind of where we are. And uh, we welcome any questions. Kent, do you want to say anything? Yeah, good evening, Kent Ralston, Train Station Planner. Uh, Sarah did a really nice job teeing this up. I just wanted to say that the plan itself was adopted back in 2017. Yeah. So, and it was meant to be about a 10 year or so plan. And I would argue here we are maybe five, six years out that we're probably 80 to 90% done with the plan. You know, the educational components really never stop, but as far as the infrastructure goes, I think we've been really super successful. Um, much thanks to the work that you all do, as well as the Parks and Recreation Commissions in Coralville and North Liberty. And I would also say that when you look at the entire metropolitan area, we have, I would say, by far the best sidewalk and trail network uh, in the Midwest. Uh, and I think it's hard to argue uh, against that. Um, the other nice thing about when we went through the Bicycle Master Plan planning was that parks were uh, identified as a destination. So you probably saw in some of the materials that Sarah shared that at this point, I would say most all of the Iowa City parks, maybe save for some neighborhood kind of pocket parks, are really well served by sidewalks and in most cases a trail at this point. So um, I think it's been really successful and, and kudos to you all for the work you do. And Sarah really has done most of the heavy lifting uh, from our end, so kudos to her as well. And happy to answer any questions that you guys have. education do you guys do around the bike boxes yeah. <laughs> because I learned about those at the last <laughs> meeting you guys are at. Um. So um, the, there's a two, what's called a two-stage bike box down by the CRWC on Burlington Street at Madison. There we actually have a huge sign that explains the bike box. Um, in terms of education, we have put out videos on it um, and some handouts on it. I would say when it comes to education, we can do a little bit of stuff online, like attracting people to that stuff, but we really re rely more on like groups like Parks and Rec or bicycle advocates, you know, like the Bike Library and Bike Iowa City to do, because our role, like we can provide materials, but we don't do programming, so. The other, the other, uh, the other thing I would say too is that for vehicles, it's, it's I think pretty obvious what you're supposed to do because we've even posted signs that say stop here at this point um, so that you're not covering the bike box. And then for the bicycles as themselves, it's pretty easy to figure out, I think, what you're supposed to do because if the vehicle does what they're supposed to do, I mean, it really creates that sort of path for you. So I think even if you've never used it, you think, well, I guess, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing here because intuitively in the places where we have the single stage bike boxes, which are just the big ones, you would be using that if you're trying to get on the adjacent street. So we use them as a connection. So if you're on the far side and need to get to the close side, you can actually sneak over. So I think it's, more intuitive than might seem if you're actually on a bicycle. Yeah. That's a good question. 
Go for it, Rachel. Oh, mine's related to education as, as well. Um, you mentioned that bike box area in Burlington, so I drive to the hospital most days. And I guess I wasn't aware at all about the bike box rules. I mean, I think you're right, the box is intuitive, I guess, right when you get there. But when I have to go into the right lane, and I, there's like a, a dashy line, and I'm just really worried I'm going to hit a biker because they could come. And I just wonder if there's any official, I mean, it seems that the DMV could have this, add these new signs. It's, a, it's an official signage, right, to their, to their tests in some way. I mean, it seems imperative. It doesn't make sense that we would learn what a stop sign is and a hexagon is this and that and not these dashy I th lines. I think they are starting to learn in okay. driver's ed. I can't say how much they cover bicycling, but they are covering some of the special facilities. Okay. So where we have these bicycle boxes, there's no right turn on red. So the, the idea is that you're, you might have accidentally turned on red, uh, as many people do. But like down at the CRWC, there's no right turn. So it would be, the, the, in that case, the bike lane that's coming east, so on the right side of the road riding right in front of the um, CRWC, if they pass through on green, they would just stop in the bike box on the far east side of Madison and just wait in that box for them the light to turn green on Madison so they can cross. That's the only bike box there. I see, okay. Yeah. I wasn't so you just maybe have never, like, You've never interacted, and I would say that um, bicyclists that are very experienced tend to not use the bike box because they're comfortable like moving across those lanes into the center turn lane on a busy street. A less experienced bicyclist would do the two stage, and this just and that's probably how they would do the turn anyway, but this just gives them a box to wait in where they're not going to get hit. I messed up. It's not on the Madison. It's not the bike box. It's at the corner of Riverside in Burlington where you turn right and it is a right turn on red and, oh. and you suddenly like to, it's just two lanes and suddenly you go to the so right it's a, lane yeah. and then there's a bike lane too with the little yeah. ch -ch -ch so hash the, marks. the hash marks are yeah the hash marks are the mixing area where cars are going to okay. pass through so it's signaling that to bicyclists and cars and I would agree with you okay. that more education needs yeah. to be done for sure and the other part too is that I will say that's a tricky area, and when the bridge gets replaced, that's true. which is going to be a okay. few years, but when yeah. it does get replaced, um, I think we will fast yeah. improve that. Yeah. My best guess is we'll have okay. more of a cycle track situation where bicycles are completely off the roadway, I think. When oh, that's great. Yeah. We have a long way to go to get gotcha. there, but I think that's probably okay. what because I'm on next door a lot, and there's just <laughs> lots of controversy, of course, between bikers and, yeah. and drivers, and I do think if it was just hard fast rule like that's it like a stop sign then they wouldn't be so angry at the bikers for doing yeah. it. and i'm not a biker but yeah. I, I just see that there's yep. contentiousness yep. In yeah there is <laughs> any other questions yeah so i have a couple so it's great to see just and hear about all the different languages as far as the bike rules and just was trying to think about other ways that we can get that out in the community more so that was something that i wasn't aware of as well as uh, right. into the schools yeah as so well, we so. welcome people to take they do take them to the bike ro rodeos or they have in the past um we distribute a lot of them through the bike library which i would say like in terms of diversity and reaching all the different groups of bicyclists that there are i mean the bike library has really been i think knocked it out of the park on that you know they just really have a lot of outreach that yeah. they do so that's been a great thing but the, but they do use them at the bike rodeos yeah, that's great 
great to hear. And I, it's great to see the numbers decreasing from the kind of collision yep. map, but wasn't sure. And if there are certain areas that things that we can do to try to minimize, you know, if more of the collisions happen in a particular area. So if there's things that we can do to try to minimize just some of that as well. So, so that's a good point. What we received this morning, actually, and I haven't even let our city manager know yet. We so actually, keep it a secret. Public meeting, but yeah. This morning for $300,000, it's a safe streets and roads for all grants wow. on the new bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, so we will be hiring a consultant, and this is actually metro-wide. Yeah, metro-wide. Okay. Which is a good thing. Um, we'll hire a consultant for the next three to five months, probably it's going to take a little while for us to actually get these funds, yep. to hire a consultant to actually look at what we would call hotspots. And Sarah Perfect. does this for our office, and we sort of know what's going on with yep. respect to hotspots where collisions occur, but this will be then this outside resource coming in looking really holistically at our entire area, and then also giving us uh, recommendations on how to correct those, Great. Uh, whether it's infrastructure or otherwise. Yep. The nice part about this grant is once we have uh, an action plan in place, this is called, then we can actually apply for infrastructure funding as a second wave. And it's, it, it's got a huge funding pool, so yep. we're really excited about that. That's, that's great to hear. And just want to do all that we can to make it a safe community that way. So appreciate the work and efforts that way. The Sharos or Sharos are those yeah. the white sort of. They have a, they have arrows, so it's a shared lane marking. So you'll see Sharos out here on Gilbert Street. You'll see them on Muscatine. Um, what they, are, uh, sorry, the pole things. What are those called? The Bollards. Oh, the Bollards. And you mentioned there is an issue sometimes with driveways. Driveways. I wonder, I don't know. So I, usually when you have a protected bike lane, it'll usually go in, um, usually on arterial streets with really long block faces and very limited numbers of um, driveways. Um, that's typically where they go in that doesn't, otherwise they might be in like a lower speed setting where there are some driveways, but a lot, but there's a lot of um, maintenance and complications with where you choose to put those in and so that's why we'll be working oh. with the consultant on that. Well I was just wondering I mean is it possible for the people who own those driveways to have some sort of tax incentive so that they'd be more likely and more amenable to I don't know. I mean, the, your driveway is your only access to your property. So unless oh, you're actually. unless you're off an alley, we really wouldn't have that opportunity. But on, but at least on newer arterial streets, that we really limit the number. We, you know, we really discourage driveways, and there are um, there there are various streets that have bike lanes where there are um, maybe there's only one driveway on the block, and you can configure them in. But it's just that I think people think, well, why don't we just have protected bike lanes everywhere? And the reason is because you just don't have the conditions to get them in, both the roadway width and then the lack of disruption from from driveways. And, and we have had requests for a true protected bike lane, which would be like a concrete wall or something that you've seen other places maybe. Uh, the issue we have is because we do have an older community with lots of driveways, you obviously can't wall off streets and, yep. and obviously driveways, so it gets a little bit tricky for us. Um, and then there's maintenance in the wintertime. You have to have special snow clear. Okay. You know, so oh, that makes there's just a lot of, like, little things that make yeah. something that seems simple more complicated than and, it is. And if we move forward with the ballers, which I, I would say is a gift at this point, it's sort of a pilot project to see what the benefit actually is because the ballers won't keep a car right from, from striking a bicyclist. I mean, they're, they're flexible plastic ballers. So we want to understand if there's a perception, if it's better for visibility, just to you know, demarcate the area all together. So we're going to use it as sort of a pilot project to see if it's really, a, you know, kind of a cost benefit. Yeah. Okay. 
What kind of standards are there for new developments and subdivisions for including like off-street trails or side paths or things to make sure that every new community is connected and integrated into the trail system? Is that like a, yeah. a requirement for So usually those things are identified in the district plan. So the South District being a really good example, um, they've identified a future trail. And what, what they usually will follow is um, flood areas, uh, other waterways like river and creek, um, uh, utility corridors where there's an easement that it can't be developed. So in the case of the south side, um, from the new school Alexander, there's like a one that cuts like northwest diagonally and it's fo just following the trunk sewer line. We can't build anything over that sewer. So we can build a bike, t I mean we can't build buildings <laughs> over that. So that's an area where you would get um, uh, that then with the extension of arterial and in some cases possibly connect, connect collector streets as those are being you know like on the on the edge of the community where you're, they're coming from a county road essentially as to a city road then we build those with the width for bike lanes and the width for a side path um, and then with the reconstruction projects like we just had on Rochester if we have the space we will get those in at that point um, but your the bike lanes are are, are going to be on um, arterials and collectors other you know otherwise it's a lower volume street and you don't need that kind of facility but the, the trails are almost always identified in the district plans and then when people come in with a subdivision plan a developer that's identified as something they have to factor into their subdivision and it might be something that they're required to build or in certain circumstances it might open up the opportunity for the city to build it just depends any other questions from the Commission um, real quick, I just want to say, for I, I manage an apartment complex on Benton Street. I've mm -hmm. had great responses from my residents as far as adding the bike lanes to Benton Street this year. Oh, great. It's had the residents feel a lot safer when leaving the property, and I appreciate it, too. There's less complaints. <laughs> well, so yeah, I have seen a lot of people using them already, yeah. and as soon as they were painted, people were using them. Yeah, it was basically day one. It's been a major change. So first of all, I want to say thank you. Um, I have had some people come and ask about uh, Greenwood Drive. It's a, it tends to be a major commuting point for mm -hmm. students that live south of the university. Mm -hmm. uh, and they know there are no bike lanes there, but I do notice on it's the a bike map way. here, it's a yeah. Sharrows. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Sharrows? So shared shared lane markings, and people call them Sharrows because they have a chevron that oh, looks like an arrow. Oh, okay. So that was basically <laughs> my question, is what is that so I can yeah. relay the information? So, so Greenwood and Myrtle are just signed with um, bike way, the blue bikeway sign, and there's some wayfinding signs there. So that's the connection you know, to get people from Benton down to the university on that, that hill. I mean, you can certainly ride your bike down the Benton Street Hill, but that's um, in traffic that's daunting for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that Benton the Street hill, Greenwood I, is I'm, just much I'm easier. glad that you guys stopped yeah. at Greenwood because really that is that hill yeah. there, cars hitting yeah. 50 plus going down that yeah. hill. So that made and sense. We'll often use the, the shared lane arrow or the sharrow in cases where we can't actually have a true bike lane. So a true bike lane has to be five feet wide minimum. And that's pretty tight. We try to make our six feet if we can. And then we even have these buffered bike lanes now, which you know, provide a minimum of another foot and a half or two feet. So in cases like Greenwood, where it won't actually be wide enough to have a true bike lane, that's when we have to resort to some, some signage as well as some, some payment markings. Yeah. Got it. And so there will be, um, in the next year or two, there will be bike lanes on Sunset 
uh, south of Benton Street as well, which mm. then would connect mm. down to the Highway 1 trail. Great. Okay. Great. Is there signage that can be put up? Um, I'm particularly thinking of downtown um, because on my commute back and forth to work, I'm coming through downtown, and especially coming back from work, it is an absolute monster. I'm constantly veering in and out of traffic because it is cars sitting in the bike lane, like the entirety of Clinton yep. Street, more or less. On Clinton um, Street? Yeah. Yep. Um, and even, even I go up Jefferson and I'll often have trucks, cars, you know, sitting yep. there for a minute off yep. of just in the bike lane. Um, you know, signs are signs and you can only have so many and then you're yep. just having too many signs. Um, but is there signage that can be put up to put a little more fear into the traffic? I mean, they're signed. Yeah, they are. Parking. They are signed as bike lanes, um, yeah. and they are signed as uh, on, in the case of Jefferson and Market, no parking. That being said, it is a constant challenge for our enforcement people, and um, the a lot of it is delivery drivers, mm -hmm. obviously, and they've gotten wise to like how how quick they need to do things so that the person who's ticketing them can't get the ticket written fast enough. But it is, you are correct, it is an issue and uh, we're trying to find a solution for it. We don't have one yet. Um, I think also during COVID, um, you know, that's kind of the rise of like all the various, everybody was getting everything delivered and the city was trying to balance the need to, um, you know, keep our bricks and mortar businesses open you know, not wanting to be too hard on them or prevent them, and then, yeah, this situation. And I'm sorry that we don't have a solution for it yet other right. than enforcement. And, and the one yeah. thing that uh, the parking folks downtown have done is they actually made this little, um, and it's, it's, it's pretty funny, but it's this little brochure. I forget exactly what it says, but the, the police and the parking attendants have actually been giving them to the chomp drivers and the grub hubs and whatever else there is. No. And it basically reminds them, you cannot park in the bike lane if you do it again, you know, we're going to take yep. it, basically. But okay. it's hard for them, like Sarah was saying, to actually ticket those folks because they are in and out so quick. But just sort of as a soft approach, they were going around, and, you know, there'd be a line of 10 or 15 cars in a row, mm -hmm. and they were clearly deliveries, and they just hand them out, you know, and just say, hey, you shouldn't know, you got to move on, and you can't be right here. So yep. kind yep. of taking a, a soft approach and trying to balance the needs of the biker and the needs of the, the community with respect to the, the number of businesses. Absolutely, be sympathetic. To, they're they're trying yeah. to do their job too, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So wanting to keep hearing in and out of traffic. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of Clinton Street, uh, it's so it's so wide, especially between Washington and Jefferson, probably, uh, and so it sort of invites people to uh, go faster. But it's really it's part of the downtown, and you know, there's so much like pedestrian traffic, like on Washington Street. Uh, it's so narrow, the bikers will just take up the whole lane. Right. It's natural, right? There's no room for a bike lane. But it's almost, it, it almost seems like it would be better off if Clinton Street didn't have bike lanes and you're just encouraged to take up the whole lane. Because uh, that would be more in the pace of what, how fast you want people to go. And then the delivery drivers can kind of, you know, sort of double park or whatever they can do. Yeah, it's a good point. In fact, when I ride down Clinton, I more or less do that. Uh, a little bit because of the vehicles that are, that are that are double parked in the bike lane, but also you don't have to ride it. So even though it's there, you don't legally have to ride it. You can take a full lane if you want. So yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it's sort of a six and one half dozen other whether that's could be better or not. It's a good point. Mm -hmm. All right. 
Well, thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Kent. So appreciate all that you do to make our community vibrant and uh, just the connections that you build uh, through the bike, bikeways and bike lanes uh, really fosters a great community that way. So just want to express thanks uh, for all that you do. Yeah, Great. We'll move on to item number seven. So reports from city staff and starting with Julie. Yeah, and I actually have uh, two fun items for you. I will have Brad actually come up and he can go on with his report. I have two things to hand out to you. Uh, one being um, the thank you gifts that we gave for the uh, focus groups. And I'll go ahead and give that. And then we have cookies tonight for the hey, holidays. So I get the fun stuff and I'll let Brad and Tyler <laughs> go ahead and talk. <laughs> thank you. I've got fun stuff too, it's just in a different <laughs> form. So um, just have a few updates to provide you on the recreation division. Uh, right now we're doing some interviews for some full-time positions, so looking to fill those. Um, hopefully by the, the start of the, the new year we'll be ready to go with all of our full-time staff again. Um, registration for winter spring program started yesterday for Iowa City residents, and then today was the first day for all everybody else. Um, probably a year or two ago, we broke that up where we had Iowa City residents had their dedicated day to do registrations, which has kind of helped make sure that we're uh, serving Iowa City residents first and foremost before the rest of the community. Um, this weekend is going to be a little busy. We've got our uh, holiday farmer's market that's going to be here on Saturday from 8 to 1. We are full. We've been full with vendors for the last couple months. They really jumped on this one right before uh, the holidays here, so and all the gift giving that's uh, to ensue. So I'm sure it will be a busy day here on Saturday and then on Sunday it's a, uh, a tradition for us we've got the winter solstice celebration and that's one of Joyce's events that she does here um, kind of celebrating the the season so that's going to be here on Sunday from 2 to 5 and then um, towards the uh, Towards the end of or beginning of the year, then we actually have our MLK Day of Service, which is going to be Monday, January 15th. And that's going to be over at the Mercer Park Aquatic Center. Uh, Mallory, who is our um, adaptive and outreach uh, program supervisor, she's got a lot of different activities planned for that day. Um, and so if you've got want to come and check out that event, you're more than welcome to do that. And then that kind of leads us into farmers market. So we we kind of wrap up the season with this holiday market, and then we start in at the end of January taking registrations for the next farmer's market season. So it really is kind of a, an all-year-round all endeavor for us. Any questions on anything happening on the recreation side of things? I just have, oh, I just have one question <laughs> Go about the registration, yeah. just because I was like obsessed with getting in a ceramics class. They're super popular. Yes. And... Um, what time, what time can you get on registration? Like, should I get up at midnight to get on? No, no, it's, uh, okay. it's 7 o'clock. It's 7 o'clock, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I wrote down the wrong day, and then at like 1 o'clock this morning, I'm like, oh, and it was oh, it's right now, and, and it I was, signed up. Was, and the, was the program was full gone. by the time you, yeah. oh. But I signed up for a different one, yeah. so okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and those, by, by signing up and getting on that waiting list, that, that's actually what we utilize to determine if there's a need for additional programs to be added in, which sometimes we'll look to add programs in mid-season, too, so. All right, 7 o'clock, thank you. Yep. Yep. Um, can you use those tokens for the farmer's market at the holiday market? You sure can. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've got some tokens burning a hole in your pocket. Here. <laughs> Any other questions? Thanks so much, Brad. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you. Tyler? 
So a little repeat on the theme. We have a couple of open positions right now, too. We'll be hiring, uh, as you met Josh in his new role um, earlier, we'll be hiring for um, his replacement. Uh, um, we've got interviews coming up here soon. Um, and we also have an open uh, um, athletic fields, um, uh, like interlevel um, maintenance position for that. Um, that's currently open through tomorrow um, application. So we'll um, probably won't get that one until after the first of the year, but uh, um, we're kind of in transition with a couple positions as well. Um, projects for next year is really what we're working on right now. We finished up, mostly finished up everything um, for this year. Um, so if you've been to um, Happy Hollow, um, we've got that playground in. Um, the playground is uh, in at uh, um, Kiwanis, and then the restroom and shelter is complete at uh, North Hickory. So um, those are kind of the main ones this year. We've got the ongoing project with the um, pickleball and tennis. Um, so over at Mercer, um, that one is started. <laughs> um, I, Unless they started recently, they, they haven't torn anything out at uh, um, City Park yet, um, but that'll be um, starting in the spring and then, of course, putting in the courts um, after that. So that's an ongoing one. Um, other than that, next year, it's, uh, Julie, correct me if I'm wrong, but College Green and then um, a new um, parcel off of Shannon Drive at the end of the uh, um, Willow Creek Trail, kind of by West High there, um, is another location. We've had some requests for playgrounds um, and uh, that'll serve a neighborhood that doesn't have really a, a playground that's easily walkable right now. Uh, the other big one would be the skate park, roller park at Terrell Mill. Uh, we have a meeting about that tomorrow actually and getting that really going, so. And that'll be the first one that has public input um, this uh, winter, really. So right after the, um, the new year, we'll be looking at getting that really um, off and rolling. And we've gotten some um, comments and some interest and uh, um, everything in that one. And then one other ongoing project, I guess, we have that staff has been completing is the, uh, I mean, you heard all about bikes tonight, so it's a different kind of bike trail, but um, off-road um, single track bike course at uh, Terrell Mill. Um, we're making good progress on that. Um, we have some um, skills features that we ordered, um, which I'm really excited about. If you've been over to Coralville, um, they have some by the same uh, company um, on their uh, um, their single track trail there. So um, ours will be uh, um, pretty cool um, where we have them. We have staff building some other features and that trail. Uh, we're hoping to have open for um, Memorial Day timeframe. So um, by the time those come and those new features, we'll hopefully have a lot of the other um, kind of pieces done and um, we'll be adding to it over, over the remainder of the year, probably making small tweaks and adjustments, but we're real excited about that as well. So any questions, anything? Do you, will you, um, do you envision expanding that uh, single track trail like to add uh, additional trail to it? Yeah, um, I think uh, the next piece we'd like to add is if you just uh, um, you get off on uh, um, Taft Speedway and go down to a uh, property on the corner of, well, uh, No Name Road or Calibri, depending on which 
thing you look at um, uh, there in Foster is kind of right there. Um, the Elks used to own that property. Um, so we're looking at um, at least making a spur there so you'd get that nice big hill a little bit into the woods there because we own a little chunk into the woods. Um, and uh, making that connection. There may be other potential in the future um, further along there, but um, that's we want to figure out the, the maintenance uh, regimen and everything on the one that we're building now and see how um, see how we can keep that one going and then kind of add from there. So good okay, question. I was able to uh, kind of see a little bit of, of what was going on mm -hmm. back there. It looks great. So. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, the, the crew that's uh, building it's really gotten into it. They've taken bikes out and tried sections themselves as they go, so they've, um, they've made it their own, so um, they're, they're having a good time building it too. With the tennis and pickleball courts, how much of that work will the city staff do, and how much of that is contracted out through for the project? Yeah, that's all contracted out okay. with that project. So, yep, yep, good hoping. question. Yep. Just with some of the surfacing and that other stuff that you need, so. That's yep, good. definitely. Um, so that's, uh, and they've been working on that for a couple of months now. Um, and I think the point they have it at Mercer right now, it should go fairly quick in the spring at that location, but I don't know how they're gonna phase with working City Park into that, if they're gonna do all the tear out first or if they're gonna continue on with that, so um, yeah. I think it has to be 55 degrees, something like that. Yeah, so um, yeah, to get to that, at least to that top coat, um, definitely, so, yep. That'll be great. Yeah. All right, any other questions? I okay. can't help noticing your stocking cap. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that one was a... Uh, <laughs> that one was one that we, I think it was uh, all city all employees. All yeah. got one of those. Yeah. Sorry, we yeah. can't. We but can't that's been like limited. Yeah. four or five years ago, I yeah. think. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, great. Appreciate all the work, Tyler, and the updates. Thank you. Anything else from city staff, Julie? All right. Move on to chair's report. I just wanted to say that this is Melissa's last Parks and Rec uh, Commission meeting, and it's been just an honor to serve with you, and uh, just very much appreciated all the comments and contribution that you've provided, and so I will never think of the Sycamore Greenway the same way, <laughs> and just want to say thank you, and very much appreciate all that you've done to make our community uh, so great. So uh, with that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the commission is doing in coming years. Should be fun for y'all. All right. So now we'll just go around to any items, Brian. So. I, I just wanted to say I just always appreciate your super insightful and, and thoughtful comments, Thank and you. always with grace, and I really admire it. And I'm sorry, you really yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I would echo that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll start on the end, Alex. Yeah, um, so I didn't make it to last month's meeting because it was the day after our city school election and I was just too tired at that point. <laughs> I've been up for 18 hours. Um, uh, I just want to say thanks to Brad um, and Matt at Mercer for, I have to bug them all the time about <laughs> voting and stuff. So. They were, they were always easy to work with, and they're just great locations. So thanks for you guys' help with elections. 
Aaron? I've got nothing. Okay. Caleb? Cool. I'm good. All right. And we'll adjourn this meeting. So thank you so very much, everyone, for coming. and appreciate it.